Hey, thank all of you for being here today. I thank you for uh, coming to worship with us here at Redeemer. I hope you've picked up the theme this morning that the person of Jesus Christ and the salvation that He brings through His life and His death and His resurrection are a big deal. I hope you've picked up on the fact that our only hope is that Jesus Christ saves sinners. I hope that you've already, in the words that we've sung, in the scriptures that we've read, have picked up on the fact that our only hope is that Christ has saved us. Listen, let us be as clear as we can this morning. We are a people who are broken. We are a people who are sinful. We are a people who deserve nothing from God, yet Jesus saves and He is our hope. So if you're here this morning checking out this church, if you're here this morning checking out the faith, maybe you got drugged here because it was Father's Day and your dad said, my one wish is for you to come to church with me. Let me just say, I'm glad you're here. But hear this. This passage that we're looking at this morning is going to talk about how we live. It's going to talk about how we think. It's going to talk about how we behave. It's going to talk about what we set our minds on. But none of that matters if Jesus doesn't redeem. Because you can't think your way into the kingdom of God. You can't behave your way into the kingdom of God. You can't morally change your behavior into such a way that God would save you. Only Jesus saves sinners. And now I feel like I should just go sit down and we can all go home early and and win the race to the restaurants. Because you know you're going there. It's Father's Day, right? But this passage, this particular passage, last in, in the verses that preceded, Peter made it very clear that God saves sinners through Jesus and God desires... Chapter 1, verse 3, God desires to be worshipped for His saving grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's your vision statement. God desires to be worshipped through those whom He saves. I belong to Jesus, God wants your life to honor Him. I belong to Jesus, God wants your life to bear fruit for His glory. I belong to Jesus, God wants people to look upon you and say, I cannot believe what the Lord has done in His life. There must be something to this gospel of Jesus. But perhaps last week, and perhaps those general statements left you wondering, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I live a life dependent upon God's grace? How do I use my life to glorify and worship and praise and exalt God? And that's what this passage this morning, chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, are intended to help us do. So our sermon this morning is entitled, Responding to Grace. Peter's intent in this passage is helping Christ followers honor God through hardship and difficulty. Peter's point is helping Christ followers understand how to live by grace. So there's a few false ways that we could read this passage. We could read this passage like this. Oh, this is how 
I can please God. This is how I can earn God's favor. This is how I can earn God's love. No, no. Peter's writing to those who know that God's favor, God's blessing, God's love are extended through faith in Jesus. But I think there's another way we can misread this whole concept of grace and faith and forgiveness. And that's to read it as, hey, it doesn't matter how I live. You know, it's all covered in the blood, man. It is, by the way. But the God who saves has a purpose for His people. The God who saves wants our lives to look like His desires. The God who saves wants our lives to extol that His ways are good and His ways are better. And so Peter wants to help you, help me, help all of us live Christ-exalting lives in a hard, difficult world. Chapter 1, verse 6, he makes it clear that these people are going through various trials. So there's no, there's no escape for us before we dive into this passage. Can you, just, can you just grant me that? Like, there's no escape hatch. Like, Peter doesn't understand, or like, Peter doesn't know what I'm going through, or, or Peter doesn't have a concept of what my life looks like. like do you know what's going on in my house this week? I, 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 Peter, I think, I think he's speaking to all of us and he's saying this. There's a way for your life to be spent seeking to praise and honor the name of God. And if you take the name of Jesus upon you, he's calling us to it. So the question before us this morning is very simple. How do I use my life to honor God in everything? I just want some help. I want to get started. And so for my note-taking friends, first point, ponder God's grace. Ponder God's grace. This comes from verse 13. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ponder, by the way, is not a passive word. It's a very active word. It's a word of, of with all my mental faculty, all my mental focus, I want to look in this direction. And, and Peter says in this verse that if we want our lives to be spent for the honor and the glory of God, we will actively ponder the grace that God has given us. What that means is the cross never becomes past tense to us. The, the salvation extended through Jesus never becomes something that I dealt with long ago. It is my everything now and forever because forever I am connected to God by faith in Christ. And Peter says the path forward is to use your mind to deeply consider the gifts and the grace and the work of God extended in Jesus Christ. So this phrase, this verse, is a very active one. Kind of the main imperative there is set your hope fully on the grace that 
has been given and will fully come when Jesus returns. So Peter's saying, set your mind on who Christ is, what Christ has done, and the fact that he's coming back for his people. The fact that, that he is keenly aware of where you are and what you need and, and where you stumble and where you're basking in his grace. And remember that he sees and he is always working for his people and he's coming back for us. He says, set your hope fully there. And if we want to hope fully in Christ, he says we will use our minds to consider God's salvation. So hear that, Christians. Our faith calls us to use our minds. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here at Redeemer, but I think that's really important. Our emotional responses to God are intended to be rooted in what we know to be true about our salvation in Jesus. Our worship is intended to be rooted in what we know to be true about our salvation in Jesus. Our prayers are intended to be cried out, rooted in what we know to be true about Jesus. And to make this point, Peter pulls up an Old Testament metaphor that we just miss. So in my English Bible, it says, it says, um, Preparing your minds for action. I'm guessing your, your Bible in English says something similar to that. The original language here actually says, girding up the loins of your mind. Which anybody know what that means? I mean, it just sounds like something we don't say, right? Like girding, hey, go, go gird up the loins of your mind there, chief. But that's an Old Testament phrase. Like, like they didn't have pants and they didn't have shorts and they didn't have skorts, but everybody wore a long tunic. And it was hard to run in a long tunic and flip-flops. It was hard to run in a long tunic and a pair of sandals. And so the phrase, girding up your loins, meant I'm going to take my tunic and I'm going to tuck it in my belt so that my thighs are showing and I'm ready to roll, right? That's what that meant. Like, come at me, I can defend myself. I got my loins girded up, right? You want to race? I'll beat you because my loins are girded up, right? Like, I'm ready to roll. Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. You see what he's saying? He's saying, be ready to think about the cross. Be ready to look and to remember the grace of God because you're prone to forget it. You're prone to be distracted. You're prone to look elsewhere. You're prone to be deceived. You're prone to be lied to. What's one of the primary ways that Satan is described in the Scriptures? As a liar and a deceiver, right? And so Peter's saying, Christian, if you want to walk and live a life filled with grace, then take your mind and actively prepare to speak to yourself the saving grace of Jesus and who you are in Christ 
over and over and over again. He says, you be ready to use your mind with and for the truth. So I actually think it's a good thing to talk to yourself, okay? That used to mean you were crazy. Now everybody just thinks you got your Bluetooth in. So you're safe. You can walk down the street and talk to yourself all you want. Often I have to speak words to myself to get my mind to stop doubting, to get my mind to stop believing lies, to get my mind to stop looking at false truth. I have to speak, Jamie, Jesus died for you. Jamie, Jesus is with you. Jamie, the Father will never leave you nor forsake you because you're in Christ. Jamie, the Spirit is here to help you. Peter's saying, you got to so ponder the grace of God that it's active and it's there to work in you. And then he goes after our modern culture in a way that's a little bit uncomfortable. He says, being sober minded. So to ponder God's grace, he says, prepare your mind for action. And then he says, be sober minded. And that has nothing to do with alcohol. Let me just get that out of the way. Nothing. But sober minded means a mind that's not distracted and intoxicated with other things. A mind that is sober is a mind that's attuned to reality. And there are so many things in our modern world that we might even consider good and helpful that intoxicate our minds in such a way that we're distracted from reality. You all have one in your pocket right now. If you don't have a smartphone, please do yourself a favor and don't get one. Stay dumb, my friends. In that way. Look, I love my phone. I love that I can get the Cardinal score anywhere, anytime. I love that it can ding me when they're winning. It can ding me when they're scoring. But I also hate that I can't slow down and read because I'm trying to make sure I got all the notifications out of my email. Right? Or that's just me. Okay, it's us. So maybe it's your smartphone that intoxicates your mind. Maybe it's the love of power. Maybe it's the love of success. Maybe it's just wanting everything to be perfect for your kids. Maybe it's just making sure that your house is good and clean all the time so that it's always presentable, even though no one's coming anyway. Maybe it's just to get one more compliment from that person that, that if they don't compliment you, it, it breaks you down. I don't know what it is that's intoxicating you, but Peter says, have a mind that's sober, that is, able to focus on what is real and see and believe the grace of God. So what Peter's saying in this one verse is that our minds are a huge part of the state of our soul. Our minds play a huge role in whether we honor God or dishonor God with our lives. 
Our minds play a huge role in how we live, what we do, what we say, and what we're known for. So Peter says, if you want to respond to grace, take your mind and fixate it on God and His grace extended through Jesus Christ. So practically speaking, talk to yourself about who you know you are in Christ. Practically speaking, know the Bible. Know it. The Bible is God revealing himself for us to know him and to believe in him and to trust him and to serve him. Practically speaking, surround yourself with people who will speak the gospel to you. Practically speaking, surround yourself with people who will say, stop believing that and believe this. Our minds are an important part of what we believe and how we live. So let's use them well. I kind of want to keep going, but... um, Second. If you're not convicted already, then we come to the second point. Pursue God's holiness. Pursue God's holiness. This is verses 14 through 16. Now notice the first three words of verse 14. As obedient children. So who is Peter speaking to? Those who know Christ, who have been redeemed who have the Holy Spirit, who are being transformed, and who relate to God as a father relates to his children. There's no earning going on here. There's basking in who we are in Christ. As obedient children, Peter says, be holy because God is holy. So we can say this. It would be the will of God that a Christian would live a life that is known for being like God. The command comes in verse 15, as God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holiness means to conform our mind and our character to that of God. Holiness means to conform our mind and our character to that of God. So this call to holiness is saying, Christian, let your words be like God's words. Christian, let your behavior be like God's behavior. Christian, be set apart from the world like God is set apart from the world. And then, so the idea here is God desires for people to live lives that are consistent with his character and his word and his desires. And the minute I say holiness, our modern minds go, dude, you have crossed the line. You're going to be one of those guys. You're going to get up there and exhort us to holiness. Yeah, I am. Because Peter does. 
Now think about this. Think about this. We profess to know God, right? We profess to believe in an eternity where there is no sin, there is no unbelief, and we are with God forever. Do do you get that? We're saying that we hope in an eternity filled with what? Holiness. We say that the best thing that's ever happened to us is that God made himself known to us and saved us and redeemed us and gave us a new heart. So if all of those things are true, then a call to be like God is not restrictive, reprimanding, bad, oppressive news. It's actually a freeing thing. Right? I mean, have you ever longed, and no show of hands here, okay, but have you ever longed that your spouse would love you with a purer love? Have you ever longed that your parents would love you with a more long-suffering fatherly love or motherly love? Have you ever longed that your, your boss would be more just and fair in the way he relates to you? Have you ever longed for a world where there is no more decay and death and brokenness and weariness and fatigue? Have you ever longed for a world where there was no depression? No counselors required? You see, In that cry of our hearts, what we're saying is God's holiness is good. God's holiness is best. God's holiness is what we need. And all Peter is saying is, let it be the aim of your life to be as much like God as you can to to bear His holiness in this world because that's good for your soul and that's good for the world and that's good for the church and it honors the Lord. I don't think holiness is a repressive call. It's a self-sacrificial call, right? I have to die to myself. I have to die to my flesh. I have to die to my sin. I have to seek to be word-informed and Christ-exalting. That's what holiness is, but it's a good thing. And if I could be known for anything, it's this one way. I want us to be a people who are convinced that God's good ways are really good and that what God desires is actually better. And that when we live lives that are consistent with the Word of God together, it's actually better. So Peter says, pursue a life conformed to the character of God because it is good and right and best and joyful. Here's what he says. You're not who you used to be. Do do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You're not who you used to be. If you're in Christ, you're not who you used to be, so you don't have to behave like that person anymore. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So you can live by grace through faith 
with the power of the Holy Spirit like someone who has been redeemed by God. Okay, pastor, how do I pursue holiness? How do I pursue holiness? I'm going to give you a Sunday school answer. Is that okay? I know this isn't Sunday school hour, but I want to give you a Sunday school answer. Listen, if you want to pursue holiness, open your Bible. From beginning to end, this book shows us who God is. Remember, God is holy. We're pursuing God. From beginning to end, this book shows us what God desires for His world. That's holiness. From beginning to end, this book shows us how by grace, God helps His people obey His word. We're not in this alone. From beginning to end, this book is intended to help us know what holiness is and pursue it as the children of God. I don't believe that we can be holy without a deep, abiding knowledge, love for, and submission to the Word of God. So, we love the Bible. We preach long, boring, expositional sermons every week. We have Sunday school classes where we teach the Bible. We open the Bible in our small groups. We have Bible studies on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Saturday. But none of that means that we are saturated in the Word. None of that means that you are saturated by the Word of God. It might help, but let's be people who so know the Word that we know God and we know His ways and we pursue Him. That's the call of this passage. Know the Holy God. So you can pursue His holiness. If you want to pursue holiness, here's my second suggestion. Seek to find your sin. Seek to find your sin. It's in there, I promise. If you don't think it is, that's your first problem, okay? It's in there. You can pray this. God, would you show me my sin? I believe that's a prayer that God will always answer. Find a trusted friend, brother, sister in this room and say, hey, would you, would you help me figure out what are the sins that dominate me? Because those are the places that most stand in the way of our pursuit of holiness. So once you find them, third, repent of them. And once you repent of them, fourth, ask the Holy Spirit to change you. I also believe that's a prayer that God will always answer. Do you, do you notice last thing on this point before we move to the last point? Before we move to the third point? Notice how Peter makes his argument here. He's going to do this throughout the uh, book of 1 Peter. But his argument is, God is holy, so you should be holy. And then what does he do in verse 16? He quotes from the Old Testament. Four times in the book of Leviticus, 
Chapter 11, verse 44, chapter 19, verse 2, chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, chapter 20, verse 26, four times in the book of Leviticus, God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. So closely that scholars can't even agree on which one Peter's quoting right here. But do you see what's going on there? Peter's saying, if God wanted it in Leviticus, God wants it now. And so, so Peter's making an argument that our lives are to be rooted in what God has revealed. So let's pursue God's holiness because God is holy. And there we meet Him. Third and final point. Posture yourselves reverently. So if we want to live by grace, we need to ponder God's grace. We need to pursue God's holiness. And we need to posture ourselves reverently. This comes from verses 17 through 21. Peter starts with a rhetorical question. If you call on him his father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then the command, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So you see what he's saying there is this. If you claim to know God in Christ, if you claim that he's your father, then conduct yourself with fear as long as you live. Fear. Peter wants me to be fearful? Rightly understood, yes. To fear God is to know His holiness, is to know His justice, it's to know His expectations, it's to know His saving grace, it's to know His Son Jesus. And to fear God is to recognize that we always relate to Him as created beings who are obliged and dependent upon His mercy. And so if we recognize that God made us and God saves us and God owes us nothing and God has standards, then we will always approach Him how? Reverently, worshipfully, deferentially, fearfully. So if you're in Christ, I do not believe that you have to be afraid of eternal condemnation. That's not what Peter's saying. But if you are in Christ, he's saying, always remember who you are. And always remember how you belong to God by His saving grace extended through His Son, Jesus. And I think Peter knew that verse 17 scared me and scared you. When it says that God judges impartially according to each one's deeds, I think Peter knew the scary weight of that because he immediately launches into repeating for us the good news of the gospel. And that's where I want to end today. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, 
Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Do you hear what Peter's saying? We live by grace, because of what God has done for us in Jesus. Never, ever forget it. We have been ransomed. We have been set free. The blood of Jesus covers our sin. God's plan from the beginning of time, from before there was time, was to send His only Son, Jesus, into the world to purchase salvation so that those who believe would know His resurrection power and be filled with faith and hope and love. So when we see who God is and we're rightly brought low, we don't have to tremble. We don't have to quake. We don't have to wonder what our eternal destiny is because Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus lives. And God saves sinners through Jesus. There's only two ways to respond here. I guess there's three. One way is to say, you people are crazy, I'm out of here. I hope that's not where you are. If that is where you are, I'm, thank you for being here today. We'd love to continue to reason with you and help you understand who this Christ is. The second way to respond is, I need that. The second way to respond is, I See that I was made. I see that God is holy. I see that God has expectations for his creatures. I see that God wants something from me and I stand alone before God. What God would want you to hear this morning is he sent Jesus into the world to spill his blood in such a way that you would be redeemed, not temporarily, but forever. It's an imperishable gift. And we this morning extend to you the offer of salvation through Christ. Believe in him today. Come to him. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to talk to you about that. But the third way to respond is this. I know who God is. I know God's holiness. I know God's desires. And I know that I'm a sinner, but I don't have to worry about his judgment against me because I come covered in the imperishable blood of Jesus. Therefore, I can reverentially worship him and pray to him and cry out to him. So how do we respond to God's grace? First, we use our minds to ponder God's grace. Second, we use our lives to pursue God's holiness. And third, we consistently posture ourselves reverently before God. This is none of this is a one-time ordeal, friends. 
It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment ordeal. So what does God want from you today? He wants you to use your mind to ponder His grace. He wants you to use your words and your actions to pursue His holiness. He wants you to posture yourself reverently before Him as a way to bring glory to His name. What does He want from you tomorrow? That. What does He want from you the next day? That. So you can take into your family this calling. You can take into your workplace this calling. You can take into our church this calling to ponder God's grace, to pursue God's holiness, and to posture yourself reverently before God. These are our visionary vectors that shape the way we think and we live. And I want to call you to pursue this vision with me.